you know, instead of trying to figure out and weed out the bad applications, application whitelisting, as it kind of implies, means you only allow applications to run that are on the approved list. So instead of trying to figure out what's bad, you only let in what is good. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. My guest today is Alan Sagano. Alan is president of ADS Consulting Group and ADS Cloud. I'm welcoming him back. Uh, he has presented to us before talking about the Hafnium attacks. And recently, Alan did a LinkedIn post talking about application whitelisting, which has been around for quite a while, but I believe that it's being looked at with renewed uh, intensity or people are giving it a new look now because of what it can do to help protect your organization against third-party risk. Welcome, Alan. Hey, thanks for uh, having me back, Mr. Sean Duby. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Nice to talk with you again. Let's start with the basic. What is application control and whitelisting? And, and where in the infrastructure might you apply such technology? Um, you know, instead of trying to figure out and weed out the bad applications, application whitelisting, as it kind of implies, means you only allow applications to run that are on the approved list. So instead of trying to figure out what's bad, you only let in what is good. And uh, it that way, hopefully, the hope and the prayer there is that it will prevent you from ransomware attacks and, and all the other malware that's coming around or somebody accidentally clicks on a link and runs an app that they weren't supposed to. It just gets denied, no harm, no foul, no blood, no ambulance, and you just continue on your day. And then you have a heart-to-heart talk with the person that actually clicked on it or asking them not to do it again, of course. Or going through some kind of a remediation process where they say, please, sir, may I have some more and and get them added to the whitelist, right? Yes. Yes, of course. And, and there are even the other big takeaway with application whitelisting is that you think, man, you know, I'm only running office and this and that and the other thing and blah, blah, blah. But Behind there, there are a plethora, a ridiculous number of, I'll call them glue apps or updates to this, or even just Patch Tuesday. You know, all that stuff has to be updated. And you would think, yeah, it's not that bad, big a deal until you think about it or things start blowing up in your face. Where are the different places you can apply this technology? Well, of course, uh, the obvious thing is at a workstation level, but you can also do it at a server level. You can do it uh, even for mobile apps now with your mobile device and your MDM mobile device management will include application whitelisting for mobile devices, which are now becoming a target. You know, obviously the conventional wisdom is only load apps from the uh, Google Play or App Store, but even those have been known to have malware on them and they get pulled usually pretty quickly, but still the damage is done. So... uh, Pretty much, you know, that any place where you can run an app, um, 
is a potential uh, candidate for application whitelisting. Has this technology matured over the years? What I know there were some early examples built into the OS. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that comes up to mind is with group policy and software restriction policies, you you technically, technically, you can implement your whitelisting, application whitelisting just with software restriction policies and group policy, you know, an Active Directory. Um, however, the maintenance of that, unless you're running like one app, and even then it would probably still be a challenge, the maintenance very quickly would become unmanageable. So you really do need a good number of um, uh, tools to do application whitelisting. And that, at least that's our suggestion. To do it with something that's built in like software restriction policies is, I think, it's just going to be unmanageable. And uh, you'll quickly find out that you stepped in a big pile of something very stinky that you probably realize very quickly you you needed to rethink this. So um, I think at a minimum, you really do need a good package to be able to manage the uh, the whitelist. It becomes very complex in about half a second. Right. Well, that does lead into where I was where I was going with this also. I think the benefits are pretty clear. You only run the approved applications. The drawbacks, I mean, the most obvious drawback is an application that a user wants to run doesn't run. And I guess this is also dependent on where that filter is running. If it's running just at the network, it prevents the application from working over the network, but it would work locally on the client. Um, What are some of the other drawbacks associated with whitelisting? I imagine that our listeners are like, hey, wow, this is great. I'm going to go implement this right away. Maybe not, given what you've said, but what are some of the other drawbacks or considerations when you're considering uh, that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think one of them certainly is patch Tuesday or anytime patches come out, it it can trigger, you know, it's, yeah, one quote unquote, one app gets patched, but that might have five or six or, you know, .NET update, blah, 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 DLL, yada, yada, yada. So you end up having to whitelist, you know, 20 or 30 different glue apps, I'll call them, that you may not be aware of. It, it's kind of like when you, if you were to, visit a website and, you know, with maybe cookie trackers, you're like, oh, it's so simple. But then when you really dig in there, oh my God, they're doing this and that, and, you know, da, 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 da. So you really, that's where the the tool becomes very, very helpful. A lot of these vendors will automatically update their whitelist when those patches are released. So you, a lot of the legwork is done for you. And that's why I say doing pure software restriction policies with group policy, but the upside, of course, is that, you know, you you just, if it saves you from a ransomware attack, it just paid for itself, I don't know, 5 million percent over, right? And well, you know, Sean, you're in martial arts, right? It, they say the best punch to block is the one where you're just not there. Right. So rather than having to worry about, you know, oh my God, the punch is coming and I'm going to throw this kind of block and I counter with this, how about just not being there, Right. Just don't be there for the attack. Of course, unfortunately, it works against human nature too, which is, that sounds like an awful lot of work and we're probably fine. It it takes a lot of, probably a really strong cost-benefit analysis to help get this thing moving. Things have changed, right? And and I guess that's part of it, this, is that 
the landscape has changed, right? Uh, application whitelisting has been around for quite a while, but the the impact or the benefits of deploying it have significantly increased. Yes, yes. And I think certainly if you're under, you know, CUI compliance, the, the controlled unclassified information, the NIST 800-181, the CMMC, you know, HIPAA, PCI, uh, if you're in the financial industry, those are, it's just a no-brainer. If you're critical infrastructure, that's another place where it really makes a lot of sense. That being said, you know, application whitelisting is not a terrible idea for any organization. Um, probably the, the steepest learning curve is actually getting it installed to begin with and doing that initial whitelist because that's why I said you, it's really <laughs> enlightening. You're like, oh my gosh, look at all these apps that, you know, you, th- you thought you had 20 apps you're running. By the time you finish a whitelist, you'll probably end up whitelisting hundreds of glue apps plus the apps themselves, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but then, and then the annoying thing is, right, you think you got it and then somebody clicks on something and then it doesn't work. And that's where a lot of the automation parts come into it is a lot of the clients will say, okay, this got blocked and then it'll pop up a notification to the admin and say, hey, this got blocked, please review. If it, if it looks good, add it to the whitelist. Whereas as opposed to waiting for somebody to call and go, my app's not working. You guys are terrible. And rah, 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 rah. Why is it that you guys, IT can't get anything run? Like, oh my God. So anyway, and that's the person that calls, right? They can't, <laughs> can't figure out how to turn on the computer. And what you're saying is that some of these applications make it easier for IT staff to be aware of what it is now. Of course, it may be some random application that <laughs> nobody has any idea what it does because as you say it's some little glue app and then you've got to kind of go do research on it yeah and actually the other enlightening thing is uh, you're running want to run what right so it does definitely help you pick up on the baloney i'll call them the non-officially sanctioned apps running on your network and we run into those too. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, this server, this person wants to run blah blah blah. Hey, I want to run BitTorrent so I can, you know, da 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 da. It's like, yeah, you're not doing that. Sorry, ever. And if you if you even ask for it again, you're fired, right? So, not and believe it or not, we have seen those that happen. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. So, I'm not at all. I'm not at all surprised. You know, yeah, people, I, yeah. People, you know, well, it's great. You know, I just do this, and I don't have to pay. I was like, oh my god, yeah. It's <laughs> they don't realize what they're doing until somebody loses an eye. Um, so, <laughs> so, and then some people, right? And we've seen this happen. They lose the eye, and then they're like, oh, you know what? I still have one left. I'm good. <laughs> like, are you, are you crazy? Like, no, I, you know, okay, depth perception is a little troublesome, but other than that, I'm okay. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. So in, in this market, what sort of tools out there? So from the point of view of somebody that this sounds potentially interesting for, what should they be looking for in protection policy? Really good. And it's a super loaded question. I guess the better question is, is to figure out what it is that you want to do. Do you need mobile app support? Are you running just Windows? Are you running Mac too? You know, where are they running them from? Are you in an Active Directory environment? You know, blah, blah, blah. That's a really interesting angle on this. Where would you start 
in an organization that doesn't have it anywhere? Would you start on the client? Would you start on the server? Would you start on the network? Would you start on mobile? What would you do? I mean, the the 500 pound gorilla probably is workstations, then servers, then mobile in that order, but it could be completely backwards depending on your environment. It's a really good question. So I'll give you the consulting answer. It depends, right? It just depends on your <laughs> environment. And in in also I'd ask, you know, what scariness have you seen in the past, right? Because if you've already seen scariness, then probably we need to focus there because we already know it's going to happen or it already has happened. Yes. Uh, you know, you said scariness and it occurs to me we're almost 15 minutes into this conversation and we haven't mentioned Kaseya, which is sort of what triggered a lot of this discussion. Right. As you, if people aren't familiar with the Kaseya attack, right, it was basically a trusted, uh, it's a package that's used by a lot of MSPs, managed services provider. And we are one as well. Uh, we do not use Kaseya, so that's a disclaimer. But <laughs> basically, their uh, software was basically weaponized. And so, you know, what happens when you have a trusted resource, um, you know, become ha what happens when it becomes weaponized? And, I, and we talked, you know, the analogy I use is that it's like the Matrix when, you know, a Joe Blow citizen morphs into a Mr. Smith agent, right? I mean, Mr. Anderson, right? right. It's, it's just scary. And this kind of stuff really does keep us up at night. It's like, you know, the inmates are running the asylum. So we've seen a couple of approaches to application whitelisting, like uh, Jeremy Moskowitz's uh, policy pack. Well, actually, he just sold it to uh, another company. But anyway, um, you know, he's the goo policy guru and, and obviously you and I know Jeremy very well, right? Uh, Many from years. the Windows IT Pro days, but you know the the default behavior for his application whitelisting is if it was installed by an administrator, then it's automatically whitelisted. So the upside on that is that your maintenance becomes much more manageable. The downside is, well, one of the downsides is if you have a moron for an administrator, then you probably shouldn't go that route just because they maybe don't think, think things through very well. But then the other angle on this is like, uh, what happens when uh, Kaseya becomes weaponized? In other words, a user or a service or whatever you're using with administrator rights uh, morphs into a Mr. Smith agent. So in that particular case, uh, we've been looking at a package called uh, AppLocker or ThreatLocker. AppLocker, ThreatLocker, there's a bunch of them out there. Now, the downside of ThreatLocker is that it does have some tools, all the ones we talked about where, hey, this app isn't running, and send a notice to the administrator, um, sends you alerts when things, uh, the admin, uh, to the admin when certain apps are run that are not on the whitelist, as well as does the patterns for any Windows updates and stuff. So it automatically those get updated. But the downside is that there's a lot more maintenance. The upside is that because it doesn't look at who installed it, it doesn't care who installed it. Basically, their angle from uh, ThreatLocker is that if it's not only a whitelist, I don't care who installed it, it's not running until somebody manually approves it. So the, the upside of something like a ThreatLocker is it gives you more protection at the expense of higher maintenance. So I guess it just depends on what keeps you up at night. I can tell you that the Kaseya attack 
really kind of rattled us. I mean, it, it, talk about keeping you up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what about this? What about that? How are we tense this? You know, what's the angle? How bad could it be? For that matter, solar winds is another one, right? Where you had a trusted source. Hey, let me use solar winds to monitor all my stuff because it's a great app. But then what happens when it becomes compromised or weaponized, right? So those are the, uh, gosh, welcome to 2022 or even 2021, right? All these this scary stuff that you didn't have to worry about. Then suddenly now it's like, oh my gosh, how do I protect against this type of, uh, this angle of uh, attack? There was always a an infinity of lower threat or lower lower items in the risk matrix. You know, there was an, there's always a sea of it, and then you prioritize the ones that pop up higher. And we keep getting more and more are popping up, and of course the the ones that were out there are still out there. So the number keeps growing. I guess as a a way of uh, sort of wrapping up on the, this conversation, what steps would you recommend? someone that finds this interesting and says, hey, you know, maybe I should revisit this as ways of protecting myself, especially against this type of third-party risk. What steps would you suggest that they take? It's a good question. I think the first thing is to figure out, take an inventory of what you want to protect. You know, is it Windows? Is it Mac? Is it something else? Is it mobile devices? Um, do, you, do you have servers that run apps, even Dockers, right? Um, Kubernetes stuff, maybe you want to protect that as well. Figure it out what it is that you want to do and then go look for an application whitelisting app, not the other way around. Because, right, the sales person, oh, look, it does this and da 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 da. But if it's missing one of your key requirements, it's just they automatically get excluded, right? And and that's the, uh, that's the angle we take for almost anything that we're doing in terms of eval is figure out what you want to do first and then see how well the application... Uh, whitelisting vendor matches up to those requirements. But it's also part of a much deeper cybersecurity strategy, which is, you know, before it was de- defense in depth and, you know, it just had layer upon layer upon layer, which is still holds a lot of water. But I think today in 2022, you need to have, a, you need to be a little bit more proactive. And the analogy I use is, you know, don't, if you walk outside of your house and you see bricks falling from the sky, Instead of looking up and trying to dodge them, maybe you should get out your shotgun and start shooting them before they land on your head or somebody else's head. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of where the angle where application whitelisting comes in is. And for that matter, even Sempris, right, with your Active Directory stuff is you guys are actively looking for threats or say, hey, you know what, this this particular behavior just smells a little fishy. Maybe somebody should take a look at it before, I don't know, a brick lands on somebody's head, right? And I think right. it's the right strategy. And I don't, it's not necessarily, I think, an offensive strategy. I call it like prevent offense. So it's maybe somewhere between defense and depth and, you know, a honeypot or an active attack against, you know, dogpile on the rabbit against the hackers, because I don't think that's a good strategy either. But I think you need, it's that see something, say something, do something because before it becomes a real issue. Because if you've already seen it happen, it's basically absolutely 100% proof in the pudding that this kind of thing could happen potentially. And it might just, this time maybe you get away with just a minor s- scrape or something, but the next time you might lose an eye. Well, maybe one of the things for people to consider is what has happened to them in the past and 
examining what has happened, would would application an application whitelisting app have mitigated that risk or stopped it altogether, as you're saying? Right. And even with that, right, maybe not even your company, but you heard of your fellow person's company or something. It's like, yeah, I don't think I want to be that person. I'm just going to go ahead and be a little bit more proactive. Uh, and not wait for the brick to land on my head. Or as I've said, you know, you don't want to be the company that's mentioned above the fold in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that's just, you know, stay off of CNN, right? I, you know, <laughs> they say there's no such bad thing as <laughs> as publicity. But uh, I think in this case, yeah, I think I'd just rather stay off the evening news. I'm just saying. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for... Uh chatting about this. This is a, an interesting area that's it's been around for a while, but I think it's time for organizations to take another look at it, both given, I'm sure, the advance in, in the tool sets and the increased really perhaps need for doing something like this to protect your organization. Yeah. Th- oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. I think, you know, if you, if you get one of these tool sets, you're still probably going to take, it's still going to take an admin, maybe after you get it installed, maybe an hour or two a week uh, to maintain it. It's not totally obnoxious, but I think, again, it's one of those, a microgram of prevention is worth a metric ton of cure. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.